Isaiah chapter 53. It's on page 741 in the Church Bible. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 54, which can be found in the Church Bibles on page 999. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers round him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. <clears throat> As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus <coughs> excuse me, wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him 
also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and explained, surely he was the Son of God. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, lovely to be able to share uh, this uh, uh, service with you. Um, I don't know if the eagle-eyed amongst you have been looking at the various uh, posters and cards and uh, the things up on the screen advertising this service, but it's been described as a reflection, a reflective service. And I, I don't know if, if you saw that, whether you've been wondering, what does that mean? Um, I'm not sure if I really fully understand uh, what, what that means, but what I want to do is to reflect on things which most of us will know very, very well. And the reason why we're doing that is because they are so, so important. And they're easy to lose sight of amongst all the busy and bustle of, of everyday life, amongst all the activities of church life, of so much more that we might be talking about as well. Uh, what we are doing at Easter time is coming back to the very heart of the things that really matter. So it's, it's wonderful to be able to spend an opportunity just reflecting on these things, reminding ourselves of them. And quite possibly, and maybe some here uh, this morning or uh, watching online, for whom these things are new. And they're not reflecting on it. You're not reflecting on it. You're just finding it out for the first time. What I want us to be looking at this morning particularly is why did all this happen? We're familiar with the story, Jesus being uh, arrested, being betrayed and uh, then being falsely accused and, and all the rest of it. But why did it happen? Uh, if you were to be a complete stranger to uh, Christian culture and uh, British culture and, and you just appeared in this country out of the blue from somewhere that had never heard about Easter before uh, and you look around at what goes on at this time of the year uh, and say, so well, why, why are they talking about Jesus? 
Uh, looking around, you'd think that John 3.16 would say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that we can stuff ourselves with chocolate the more than is good for us. Or that we can go off and meet our families or have a long um, holiday weekend going off to visit places all around the country. Now, we know that that's not the reason why Jesus came into the world. And much as though such things may be enjoyable as well, and it's nice seeing some of the extended families here uh, that this morning gathering together for the Easter weekend. We're, we're getting invaded on Sunday with, with our brood. Um, and it's, that's good. But what we're going to look at this morning is the real reason why Easter is so important, this period of time, uh, the, the truth that lie behind it. And to do that, we will be referring back to that passage uh, which was read to us earlier on in uh, Iwen read from Isaiah 53. As Nathan said at the time, uh, it, it's written hundreds of years before Jesus came into the world a prophetic message given by God and it's written as if it's already happened and yet it was written before it happened and so accurate but what it does more than uh, than anything else is to tell us why it was why it happened why it was going to happen for people in Isaiah's day um, he tells us why it happened and if we look in Isaiah 53, if you've got your Bibles, you might want to put a finger in that page uh, and just to, to follow the verses. Sorry, I haven't got a, a page number to give you, but it's somewhere, if you find the Psalms, go towards the end of the book and you'll come across Isaiah. It's quite a big book. Isaiah 53 is what we're looking for. Uh, and verse 3 talks about him being despised and rejected. Despised and rejected and we see this what I'm going to do this morning I'm not going to give you very many of my own words this morning I want to look at passages of the scripture that answer some of our questions so I'm going to be reading out quite a few passages I hope you won't find it tedious I've tried to select them carefully so that it doesn't become uh, uh, tiresome uh, but despised and rejected if we look through Matthew's gospel uh, we'll find so many examples there of how he was despised and rejected. Going back to last Sunday morning's sermon, uh, the passage there when Jesus uh, was arrested. While, uh, this is uh, Matthew 26, verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with uh, swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, that's Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. He was despised and rejected. Going on in uh, chapter 26, uh, verse 59, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. He was despised and rejected going on the high priest said to him i charge you under oath by the living god tell us if you are the messiah the son of god you have said so jesus replied but i say to all of you from now on you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven 
And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy, what do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. And they spat in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? He was despised and rejected. Matthew goes on and describes how uh, it was the custom of the time for uh, the Roman governor to release uh, a particular, uh, release one prisoner at the Passover time. And he had two obvious candidates. There was uh, an insurrectionist called Barabbas there was a, and there was Jesus. And he favoured releasing Jesus because he couldn't see anything wrong with Jesus. It was the Jews who were uh, opposing him and the Jewish leaders particularly. Uh, and so he offered them to set free Jesus. But they wanted Barabbas. And they said, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And the crowd, stirred up by their leaders, shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. Think back to the, uh, just a week before these things took place. Palm Sunday, and the crowds lined the streets and as Jesus rode in on a donkey, fulfilling a prophecy given in the Old Testament hundreds of years before, that the king would come riding on a donkey. They cheered him on. They, put, they carpeted the street with their clothes. They waved palm branches, praising God for what he was doing. And then a week later, the crowd is there shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. He was despised and rejected. And then we read the, his treatment at, at the hands of the soldiers. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They then twisted a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him and then they took him, led him away to crucify him. And they crucified him, despised and rejected. In verse 45 of the passage which uh, was read to us just now by, uh, by Nick, we see Jesus on the cross. In the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice, this is verse 45, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We look at Isaiah 53. We find that word, well, we don't find the very word, but we find the phrase in verse 4. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. We'll come back to why Jesus felt so forsaken by God. <coughs> but as he said those words, we see how the people around him are considering God's part in what is happening. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests 
The teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. They were mocking him. But there's something also in those words that relating what's happening uh, to what Jesus said about himself as God and his father in heaven. That Isaiah's words take on a new poignancy. Talking as if we were there, he said, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. And they're seeing this aspect of divine retribution being poured out on Jesus. But they missed the point. Because, yes, the wrath of God was being poured out on Jesus. But not for what Jesus had done. We read in Isaiah that the reason that he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. You might be thinking, why did this happen? Why? Why did it happen? Surely, uh, this is Isaiah 53 verse 3. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But not for what he had done. Look what comes next. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Later on in Isaiah 53 verse 10. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Yes, that's why Jesus felt so forsaken on the cross. It wasn't simply the physical torment and suffering and pain he was going through. It was the, uh, the, the fact that the whole of the wrath of God against the sins of the world were being weighed down on him as he bore our punishment, bore our shame, bore our, our just deserts on himself. No wonder he felt so forsaken. And yet it was the Lord's will for that to happen. Why did it happen? He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. I just realised I've got a button here I'll be pressing. I will forget that. It was, he was suffering for our sake. Want to know why he suffered and died? It was for me and for you. He took your punishment, my punishment, our punishment. He suffered in our place. The word of God says in the New Testament, Romans chapter 5, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For you, for me. Why? Why was it necessary? Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity, the sin, the wrongdoing of us all. Again, the New Testament, the Word of God, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We read this, and let me I'm going to have to unpack this a bit because there's lots of unusual words to, to, to many people in it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Let's unpack that. Put it alongside that bit in Isaiah 53. For all have sinned. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all done things that are wrong. And fall short of the glory of God. It means that we don't do the things that God wants us to do. We don't live as he wants us. We don't do things for the glory of God. We turn our back on the glory of God. Isaiah 53. All have sinned and fall sh- I'm sorry. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We're not bothered about the things of God. We're just thinking about ourselves. That's what Paul is saying in the passage in Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. Justified. What does that mean? It means declared to be not guilty. No penalty left to be paid. No charge to answer. It's as if you had done something wrong and you know that you've done something. You've broken the law and you get hauled up before the, the, the judge or the magistrates or whatever, and you know that you are guilty. There's, you're not going to try and argue your way out of it, uh, and you just stand there waiting for sentence to be delivered. And the presiding magistrate, the judge, whoever it is you're standing before, says, you're free to go. The charge has been answered. There's no guilt left to be paid. And you think, how? Why? Standing before God, we know that we get things wrong. We know that we fall short. And yet, he is setting us free. How? Why? Because of the grace freely given to us. By a free gift of God to declare us not guilty. The penalty is gone. Nothing more to answer. It's a free, that's what grace means. It's a free gift. Not, not deserved, not given to us because we've earned it in some way, but because God wants to give it to you. He goes on, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. He paid the price. That's what redemption means. Jesus paid the price. He goes on and explains it more. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Means he sacrificed himself. Took our punishment that was due to us on himself. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Paul has given a lovely theological description there of what Jesus came to do. Isaiah expresses it in simple words. Let me just intermingle the two again. For all have sinned. We all like sheep have gone astray 
and fall short of the glory of God. Each of us has turned to our own way and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, what about us? Isaiah was looking at uh, the, when he was given his prophecy. He was writing it as if it had already happened, but looking forward to the future. We are now way into the future, looking back at what happened. How does this affect us now? What is our response to the things that we are reflecting on? Last week we had a, a song went slightly wrong on the projection. We ended up singing the verse about Christmas twice. And Nathan made the comment that Christmas is good as well. It doesn't all have to be about Easter. And I'd like to take us back to a passage uh, in, in the Word of God in the New Testament in John chapter 1, which is one that we often read at Christmas time. And it's talking about Jesus as being the light. No, one, Actually, hold that thought. I've missed out a bit. We'll come to that bit in a minute. Christmas has been postponed for a couple of minutes. Um, where do we all fit into this? Well, today, Jesus is still despised and rejected. And we, all like sheep, have gone astray. Paul, again, in the letter to the Romans, wrote about how the nature of the world around us. I'm not going to read the whole of the passage. It's a long one. But he's already spoken about the way in which people really should know about God by the things that they see around them. You ever watch those wonderful nature programs on television and you get close-up views of animals and how they react to each other and, and you see the glorious way in which they, I'm going to say, are made. You know, and then the commentator will say something about evolution and so on. And in our household, certainly, we're both sitting there thinking, what utter, utter rubbish! How could that possibly happen by accident? You cannot help but see a designer at work in creating the beautiful things around us, if you want to look. If you've got it in your mind, no such thing exists. Well, you have to find feeble excuses for what you see. And Paul makes that point. In Romans chapter 1, he says, we, <laughs> the very nature of God is seen in what is made. And we only need to... But people have rejected that. And they've gone their own way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, turned to their own way. And he goes on and talks about how that then affects people's behavior. And he has a couple of passages of, uh, about sexual depravity and so on. And then we come to this bit, Romans 1, verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God... So God gave them over to a depraved mind. He said, okay, that's what you want. See what happens. Gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. While I read this out, have a think about what the world is like around <coughs> us. What you see on television news or read in the newspapers or see in your news feed, what you hear about in the communities in which you're part of, what goes on in your street, in your school, in your, uh, your office, in your factory, 
wherever it is that you are, in the community things that you get involved with, what goes on in church. People who become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And don't just think about other people, what they are doing. Point the attention inwards as well. See, as I read these things, whether there isn't a bit of truth. Now, Paul isn't saying that everybody does all of these things, but they are things that happen in the world around us. Some people will do some things more than others, and others will do other things more than that. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, faithfulness, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Jesus is despised and rejected. Not just was, he is today. The things that he teaches, the things that he wants us to be, uh, they are despised and rejected. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Now we come back to Christmas and the John 1 passage, John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is Jesus we're talking about. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, despised and rejected. He came to that which was his own, his own people, people who had been prepared for his coming, prophecies given to them over hundreds of years, and they should have been expecting him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. <coughs> Pardon me. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or husband's will, but born of God to all who received him. To those who believed in his name. Those who believed. Those who received him. For God so loved the world. John chapter 3 verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world through him. We all like sheep have gone astray. We turned each one to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, to all who received him, to those who believed. This is why it is of first importance that we remind ourselves of what happened at Easter. Not just once a year, but week by week, day by day, Christ died for our sins. Think of how Jesus described himself. I am the light of the world. He's the light who came into this world to, to show the truth to us. I am the good shepherd who gathers up the sheep who are straying and brings them back to him, who turns them from their own way and brings them to be led and guided and nurtured and cherished by him. I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Spoiler alert. It's only Good Friday. We're going to come back to the resurrection on Sunday. I, I'm fairly confident of, of that. 
I am the resurrection and the life. He is the one who brings new life to us through what he has done at that first Easter. Dying on the cross, rising from the dead. I am the way, the truth and the life. There is no other way, Jesus says, to come to the Father except through him. And he's done that for us, paid the utmost penalty, not just of human death, but of bearing all the wrath of God and himself for us. And that leads us to the way of the cross for us. Jesus, at one point, called the crowd along to him, along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? As we put our faith and trust in God, as we, as sheep who have gone astray, come back to the good shepherd, to be led and guided by him, we are turning from our own way to his way. And there is a cost involved in that. It's a glorious thing to have happen to you because it brings us into a new life and a new security and a hope uh, for, for the future and for all eternity. But there is a cost to be paid in this world because we're following someone who is despised and rejected and we will be despised and rejected when we're following him. We take up our cross and follow him. Finally, and this is really is a finally, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul wrote, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that? That Christ lives in you? that you've given your life, your heart to him, that you've received him, you've believed in him, you've put your trust in him, been born again by his spirit. If there's anyone here who knows that that's not true of them, then please take time to talk it over with somebody here that you know as a believer. If you're not sure who to go to, I'm going to be around after the service. Nathan's going to be around after the service. Uh, there's John, one of the other... Uh, the other elder in the, uh, uh, the church over there. There's, uh, there's plenty here who have experienced this wonderful truth. Take time to find out. If you're listening online and you're strangers to this, uh, there's a way through the website of getting in touch with us. Just send us a message and we can get back to you. But don't neglect this most important thing this Easter. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray now, shall we? Oh, Father God, we do praise you and thank you for your wonderful love and goodness to us. We thank you that whilst we were sinners, you reached out to us to save us. Lord, we are like sheep who so often go astray, so easily turning to our own way. But Lord, thank you that you laid our punishment on Jesus so that we can be forgiven and have a new life. So help us, Lord, to follow you faithfully. Take up our cross and joyfully go with you, the King of heaven. Have mercy on us now, we pray, Lord. Amen.